That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible-carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, we are back, and uh, for another episode of Same Old Song, and um, I am your host, uh, uh, Jacob Smith, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely uh, co-host, the Reverend Aaron Zimmerman. And so, and here we are, and I'm actually coming at you from San Diego, California, where I'm at the 1517 Conference. And uh, anyway, just give a shout out to those guys. Great conference so far. And I am <clears throat> eagerly anticipating the churro bar. Mm. So, and, um, but it's been good seeing uh, Sarah Condon and um, her wonderful husband, Josh, and uh, also... Um, uh, the whole crew from Calvary St. George's is here, but uh, we are coming to you and we need to give you a uh, same old song podcast. How are you, Aaron? You're just back from Paris. I am, Jake, which is fantastic. You're not too far uh, from your trip to Sweden and Iceland, so we are, we're, we're jet setting um, podcast hosts. Uh, rack, mm, racking up I'm talking miles. about I'm talking to Creflo Dollar about borrowing his jet so uh, that we can fly around, you know. And it's just for the gospel, um, it's so that kidding. we can arrive fresh. It is. It's for the gospel. Yeah, we're <laughs> delicate. We're delicate. Uh, yeah, Paris was amazing. I had the chance to preach at the American Cathedral in Paris. So any Episcopalians or anybody out there who, if you're ever in Paris on a Sunday morning and you want to worship uh, with a wonderful community in one of the most beautiful churches around, go to the American Cathedral on Rue Georges V, right down the street from the Louis Vuitton mm. flagship store. So uh, go to church and then go get yourself a handbag uh, for, that's for a cool 3,000 or whatever it is these days. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're, we're back. We're here to talk to you guys about some great readings. We're here to um, look at the readings for Sunday, October 27th, the 20th Sunday after Pentecost. We are slowly um, getting to the end of the line here for um, uh, ordinary time. Year yeah, we're going to be mm -hmm. getting into Advent um, by the end of, end of November, first Sunday in December. So uh, we're wrapping up with Luke's Gospel. We're still doing the Minor Prophets. We're looking at Joel here, um, and we're also going to be talking about Second Timothy as we finish uh, or kind of continue to move through that book uh, as the Epistle. Mm -hmm. Uh, that we've been going through. So, uh, with me hugely jet lagged, Jake, um, not jet lagged, but just Jake, who's not just, you're always kind of just half there. Um, no. we're going <laughs> to talk about these, talk about the Bible so you can preach something. All right. Enough with the introduction. Yeah. Uh, Joel two, Oh, children of Zion. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about locusts, talking about threshing floors. We're talking about, uh, the, this is what St. Peter quotes in his Pentecost sermon. If you're going to preach this Joel 2 uh, passage about God pouring his spirit out and God restoring what the locust has eaten, all this sort of stuff, um, what would you want to start with here, Jake? Well, I would uh, want to really um, 
hit on the fact that uh, judgment is a reality here and, uh, and, um, uh, and hit on the reality of judgment. And then you may want to finally cap that off. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And why is that? Because um, the Lord has stepped into the midst of his people, and not only into the midst of his people, but into the midst of the whole world um, in the person and work of Jesus. And this is actually St. Peter's point in his Pentecost sermon. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is a, the scholars disagree about under which king Joel was writing, which king, um, you know, and whether this was 8th century, 9th century BCE, there's all kinds of uh, theories about it. But this is, uh, whatever the specifics are, it was written by the prophet Joel during a time when God was threatening judgment and that judgment was going to come in the form of exile. Uh, so Joel is writing before that's happened, but saying, you know, he's already been talking about how it will happen, but now he's saying what will happen after that. And he's saying that after the reality of judgment, there's going to be a redemption. Uh, yes, the swarming mm -hmm. locust has eaten, has destroyed. You've lost everything. The car has been repossessed. The job has been lost. The marriage has fallen apart, whatever it is. Um, but there's going to be... Um, somehow a redemption there's there's going to you're 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 not going to stay in that place of despair forever um uh he god says i will repay you for the years that the locust has eaten so that's what's going on mm. here and i think you know if i was going to talk about this you know you can definitely and should set it in its context and talk about what joel was talking about but also knowing that this, like many Bible passages, operates on different levels. There are layers here. And um, because St. Peter shows us there's layers, because Joel had no idea he was talking about Pentecost, uh, but Peter uh, sees much, you know, thousands of years later that he, that that's what Joel was talking about. And we ourselves can, you know, kind of put this in our context and know that there is this principle in the life with God where there are times of, of real judgment and there's a can be a mercy in that there can be something that brings you to the end of yourself um, there are years that the locust will eat uh, but that um, God is in that and God is also in the redemption that comes comes later and as you say this word about never being put to shame and of course God pours his spirit out on us and uh, mm. everybody gets to be part of God's mission and God's family and God's plan yeah I think that's that's a real key part. Uh, you shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel and that I, the Lord, am your God and there is no other. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And it goes on, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Uh, basically, this isn't, and this goes from the male and the female slaves. I mean, literally, God is going to pour his spirit out onto all people. And I think especially within like our tradition, I mean, and this is something like an interesting thing to hit on, is that oftentimes we believe in like the priesthood of one, the clergy class, and there's the laity. Is that not right, and, Jake? Uh, and No, it's Dang not it. right. And um, I know. And uh, but what but what Joel is reminding us here is that indeed the gospel is for everybody, and uh, and that the gospel can be um, hailed by mm. everybody, and uh, and so and this is a this is a really really important thing is that this spirit has been given to you, uh, dear listener, to share the gospel also. Yep. Well, uh, don't talk about, uh, don't whatever you do, don't talk about the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, and. Uh, to talk about some analogy of what all that is for those just different types of bugs y'all that's all it's about yeah that's right uh anything else you want to say so, about joel 
dose. No, but I do think that um, when you do uh, preach the gospel, to remember that in this world, oftentimes um, the goodness of God manifests itself in the form of like shame and suffering. And we see that in the work of Paul as he is concluding his letter to Timothy here, his second epistle to Timothy. And he reminds Timothy of um, the real difficulty that this has been. I'm already being poured out as a libation in the time of my departure. Um, you know, that's his death uh, is coming. Mm. And, uh, and he reminds him that he's fought the good fight. He's finished the race and he's kept the faith. Um, and this is a major thing because to uh, follow our Lord is not oftentimes a picnic. Yeah. It's not your best life now. That's right. Uh uh, despite um, what Instagram might uh, say, you know, there's uh, you can be the hippest preacher around. Um, you can be a very uh, Instagram savvy Christian-looking person, uh, and still be just in the throes of despair and depression. And right, uh, and uh, yeah, following the Lord is not, as you say, a picnic. And Paul knows that better than anyone. And I, one of the things I love about this passage is that here he is at the end of his life uh and he's saying and he's and he's not listing his own accomplishments he's just saying mm. i've i've had to fight he doesn't say i've won and actually he hasn't he's he's uh you know under arrest and in jail um i've i've fought the good fight uh and i've finished the race you know not that i won the race again i just i've finished and the main thing here is I've kept the faith. He's saying what I've done is I've mm. held on to my faith in Jesus Christ. And um, as he's um, said earlier, just, you know, God is always faithful to us. And so he knows he's, there's a crown of righteousness, which is reserved for him, but he knows it's it's not something he has earned. He knows it's something that is given to him uh, uh, and um, not because of his achievements, but because of his his grace, and so uh, that's yeah. something that I just treasure. He's got, you know, and there's questions about Pauline authorship and all that. And again, please don't bore your Snore. don't bore your congregations Snore. with that. I think you know, with all these texts, take it at face value. Take it as the church has received it. Um, and that's you know, can I say that's really yeah. important? You know, and and why? You don't want your congregation to be ignorant of these things. This isn't what we're advocating. But what we're advocating is that a lot of new people are coming to your church. And, you know, if you want to have a forum on that stuff, yeah. on the Teach a Sunday school class Paul, on that. That will, that, will, that will not grow your church. But, like, if you want to do that, that's fine. But the thing you don't want to do is, through your preaching, uh, sow seeds of yeah. doubt. Sow seeds of doubt. I once heard an amazing story of... Um, of a colleague of mine um, who was in Oxford and uh, the guy got up and he was vested to the nine, you know, had his cassock surplus tippets, you know, uh, preaching stole hood, the whole thing. And he got up and he had these like tie around the neck tippets and he got up and as he said, he began to say, you know, we all know that Paul isn't the author of this text and his tippets literally were loose and they slid out and like fell to Boom. the floor. Now that's not to say that that'll happen to you or anything like that, but which the point being is, is that what I do not sow seeds of doubt into the validity of the scripture um, uh, to your, to your congregation. Cause that will, that is not helpful at all. 
And so yeah, um, and I would say you know that, that's my side rant. Yeah, and just if somebody comes up to you afterwards and wants to talk about this, you know, I would say that um, authorship by Paul, yeah. or whether it was um, somebody writing on behalf of Paul, but with a different literary style. There, again, nobody knows. There's all these theories. The fact of the matter is, it's the Word of God, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and uh, let's hear what it's saying to us as opposed to mm-hmm. being oh i'm right. i'm smarter than the text and i mean so so yeah. if you know if 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 saint paul did not sit down and write this does that mean it's uninspired no because we believe that god mm-hmm. speaks through all these scriptures uh, regardless of the human author right. and so anyways that's and that's, that's right. a little just interpretive uh, note for folks uh, so as we look at this and as we just receive it take it at face value paul writing to timothy we see this incredible picture of someone who is at the end of his life writing to someone he's mentored and yeah. saying the main thing is the gospel and the the, the faith that he has held on to, the one um, who will save him, not he himself, uh, the crown of righteousness that is the That's gift right. from Christ to him. I, the Lord stood by I me and gave me strength. Line. The Lord stood by me and gave me strength, yeah. not me. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. You know, and and the word there, rescue me, is the Greek word uh, sozo, and uh, which means save. And uh, the Lord will save. And you know, and He does that, and He's done that, and we see in Paul's text right here by assuring um, Paul of his of God's love and His faithfulness, and that that God has answered His prayers, and um, maybe not the necessarily the way Paul had hoped, mm. but He is. And that um, he has been promised eternal life, you know, and uh, he's being saved for something, and that's for a heavenly kingdom. Yeah. And uh, when you begin to realize that, and that captivates your heart and your whole vision of ministry, well, then all you can say is to him be glory forever and ever. Yeah, and I'd say there's there's a thematic link between the Joel reading and the yeah. Second Timothy. Both of them um, are about either I point, communities yep. or people who have suffered a great deal and yet God has been present in that suffering and has there's a redemptive work going on. So the people of, of Israel obviously have suffered as a result of their own sin and waywardness. Um, they have been rightfully judged, but that judgment has served to cleanse and prepare them for this outpouring of grace and renewal that's gonna happen. And Paul is someone who has suffered a great deal, uh, previously suffered in his delusions of righteousness, now been suffering for the gospel. But in all those things, he knows that someone else has saved him. And and the redemption here is in verse 17, that through me, he says, the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear it. That Mm. that people are going to hear this incredible word that God loves them. Um, And so I think for people in your churches, uh, everybody I know is desperate to make sense of the suffering in their lives, or just hear something that doesn't either seek to dismiss it, numb it, deny it, pretend like it's not there. Both these passages acknowledge the reality of suffering in the Christian life, and both of them say that God is present and and has a plan for renewal, for restoration, and for redemption, uh, and that uh, you know He's He's got you, He's holding you um, in the mm-hmm. palm of His hand, as the song goes. So. Uh, that's yeah. that rightfully ends in this kind of this doxological phrase at verse eighteen in Second Timothy uh, that that to him be glory forever and ever. Doxological meaning Absolutely. worship uh, for those of you who forget your Greek. It's uh yeah it's it's such it's such a good word and um, you know. Yeah, that's all. I mean, so now, now let's turn so. to the part that people are actually going to preach on the the passage from yeah. the Synoptic Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter eighteen, verses nine through fourteen. A really famous parable. 
the mm-hmm. one that everybody knows. It actually is the origin of a of a liturgical manual act that some clergy do when they celebrate the Eucharist. Uh, when they mention about their own unworthiness to offer this sacrifice, uh, it's very mm-hmm. common for a cleric to to take their right hand and sort of pound uh, gently pound upon their fist, but not really hard. You know, they're not really going to hurt themselves, but just do a little tap mm-hmm. on their on their pectoral muscle because this guy, you know, is. I think if you're going to do it, you got to hit yourself hard. Yeah, well, this because so. this guy says he was beating his breast, so we're supposed to. Uh, that's where this comes from. It's a famous story. Okay, so two guys go to temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one's a really righteous, kind of holy, plays by the rules guy. One's a guy who sold out his people and lining his pockets through ill-gotten gains. And it's just a total uh, mm. jack wagon, as Sarah Connor would say. Well, I, I think, yeah, if you really want to understand uh, what a tax collector is, go and watch um, Son of Saul, this amazing Czech movie that came out a couple of years ago. <clears throat> Basically, the tax collectors were capos. These were guys who worked with um, the Romans. They worked with the Nazis um, t- in order to, one, save their own skin and profit off their own people's suffering. And um, and this is, this is the kind of person that we're dealing with when we're dealing with a tax collector. We're not dealing with just something like a hard guy in the IRS, you are dealing here with a capo. And uh, this is this is um, this is a scum of the earth kind of person. And um, and then you have a Pharisee. And quite frankly, I mean, the way the Pharisee talks, I want hundreds of them in my church because they they actually give. And we're in the season of stewardship. And, you know, he's like, I tithe, I tithe, I tithe. I fast twice a week. I mean, dude, the Pharisee is the mature, mature Christian here. He's got his what would Jesus do bracelet on, and he is ready to go. And he's going to serve on all of my committees. He is going to make me look good, and uh, and this is great. And Jesus tells this parable, and this is the key line for you to begin to understand this, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded yep. others with contempt. And so he uses the illustration of the mature Christian uh, who's really um, Jesus is his first yeah. love. And uh, and then you have a capo. And so and that that's the setting here. Understand that. Jake, what's a capo? Capo, these were the guys that like basically um, they were the folks that the, the, the Jews that worked for the Nazis. Uh-huh. And uh, they typically would um, usher you in and say, hey, don't worry, this shower isn't this, you know, we're just going to get you clean. And then afterwards, we're going to give you some wonderful soup and some tea. They were the sweet voices that lured people into the gas chambers. Uh-huh. And if you have not seen this movie, Son of Saul, it is profound. Um, it is about a man in the midst of hell and who is an agent of hell and who, um, through watching uh, the death of his son, um, finds um, meaning in the midst of that. And, uh, it's, uh, um, and his life has changed. Mm. It's very powerful. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, thank you, Jake, for anyway, that. Anyway, and, and watch a Christmas movie. Yeah. So... <laughs> I think John Wick 3 is pretty good, but... uh, Oh, my God. John Wick 3, don't get me started. Hard to watch. Hard to watch. Yeah, it's wonderful. Okay. But but anyway, these two men go up, and one, a Pharisee, and the other, a capo. Which one is you and which one's me, Jake? That's what I want. (laughs) There's a little of both of us. So, um, uh, Mm. but uh, um, the Pharisee standing himself prays thus, and listen to how awesome this is. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers or even like this tax collector. 
It's like I fast twice a week. I wear my WWJD bracelet all the time. I give a tenth of all of my income. That's amazing. That's including like birthday present money and stuff like that. And all the money you're like, oh, this is just for me. Like he is giving a tenth of all of it. But the tax collector, man, he wouldn't even look up to heaven and was beating his breast. And all he could say is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh, yeah, no. uh, t- good. So I'm going to I'm going to give you the. Um the illustration I may or may not use for this sermon. Uh, I was, so last week in Paris, actually this was yesterday morning. This was Thursday morning. I went for an early run and I came back to the American cathedral where we were staying. And I was, I was walking up to the church along the sidewalk and I saw a man at the front of the church kneeling on the front steps because the, the front gate was locked. The church was not yet open. It was still dark outside. And there was a man just kneeling on the steps. And I thought, what is this guy doing here? Um, and, uh, uh, you know, to my shame, I first thought, God, if I, if I approach, is he going to talk to me and ask me for money? Like, Mm. what's, is he some crazy guy? But Mm -hmm. he finished saying his prayers, uh, and he got up and there was a delivery truck waiting nearby and he just got in the truck and drove off. So this was just a guy on his way to work in the morning who, while it was still dark in the streets of Paris, just felt such a need to pray and be close to God. He went to the, this church, and even though he couldn't get into the church, he stayed on the outside steps, just kneeling on the stone in the dark. So desperate was he for uh, a word from God or a need to pour out his own heart. And it was a very touching, moving moment, which to me indicated where every, on some level, every human being is in that space. They may have forgotten it, they may have numbed it out, but everybody is in this place where they're desperate to receive something from the Lord. And this guy mm-hmm. clearly was approaching humility. Um, I mean, kneeling outside in the dark on the steps on the, on a street in Paris uh, was this beautiful image. And I think there's something here with this guy. Um, the tax collector would not even look up to heaven uh, and just is asking for mercy. You, you note that the Pharisee doesn't ask for anything. He just thanks God that he's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. the, the tax collector, however knowing he is despicable, knowing who he is and what he's done, um, uh, just says, be merciful to me. And the reason Jesus is telling this story, by the way, is because he's just said in Luke 17 that the kingdom of God is here, it's coming, but none of you basically will be able to recognize it. It won't look like anything you've expected it to look like. And then Luke 18 is him telling stories about what it looks like. The last one was that unjust judge at the beginning of Luke 18. Now there's this one about the Pharisee and the tax collector, because everybody thinks the kingdom of God is one where the Pharisees are in and the tax collectors are out. And Jesus is now saying, no, let me tell you what it actually looks like. It's a place where the tax collectors are in and the Pharisees are out um, because Jesus says that the Pharisee does not go home justified, even though he does all the right things. But the one who goes home justified is the tax collector. And uh, so, yeah. Why? Because he, because he does, because this is, this is important because he doesn't, he he has no righteousness to stand on except for a righteousness given to him from outside himself. Yep. And if you want to like really understand the offense of this parable, um, picture the tax seat. What we do is then we're like, yeah, and then he went and he became a Pharisee. And then all of a sudden he was a really nice guy because, you know, you got to change. You got to do something. God loves you, but he's not going to leave you there. Well, like, no. <laughs> like what happens, what happens if the Pharisee went out and, or with the tax collector went out immediately from there and continued his tax collector job? Yeah. Because he, Jesus doesn't say he didn't, oh, and then he went and got a new vocation and became a Pharisee. 
No, like what if like 10 minutes later, he went out and shook down, um, shook down like 20 people to get paid? Mm. Like, does this change uh, God's word of forgiveness? Does this change God's word of justification? No, we want to all of a sudden say now he's relying on himself. But if you want to understand the scandal of this message, what if he goes out and continues to commit injustice? Right. And this is uh, that's powerful. And this is see, we want to turn him into a Pharisee so that he can trust back in him and his own self. Because you know, we we see Jesus as a means to an end, mm. and where Jesus is the end of itself, he's the end of any attempts at righteousness from there on out too. This, you know, and uh, there, I mean that that is the scandal of the gospel right here. Yeah, and, and I why this place is going to be filled with tax collectors and sinners like you and me. And that's that's uh, so powerful, and, I, and I'm glad you point that out, Jake, because a lot of us, we do try to read this as like, how do I be, how do I be good? Okay, I don't, I don't, I can't be like the Pharisee. I can't be arrogant. I got to be humble, like the tax. Okay, yeah. I'm a sinner. Oh, so I'm so, humble. Oh, I'm so humble, and so now I'm saved. And we've turned it into another law, and then we've added more righteousness uh, expectations upon ourselves. And again, the whole so if point I just, is, if I just say God be merciful to me as sinner, right. I really mean it. Yeah. Then Jesus will be my first love again. Like no, this guy says God be merciful to me as sinner because he is a piece of turd. Yeah, like this is what it is, and that's what you are too. But like, guess what? Our God loves turds. He <laughs> loves like he loves really, really awful people because that's all there actually is. Yeah, and this is the thing that the this is the Pharisee's mistake, where he says, yes. "I thank you that I'm not like other people." He has never heard the Sermon on the Mount, which says, mm. "If you've thought about it, you've done it." If you've wanted to do it, it's the same as the person who's done it. So he thinks there's differences between, he thinks there are good people and bad people, that you, yeah. there's a difference between a thief and himself. And what Jesus teaches us is that we are all the same. We're all sinners. Mm. And St. Paul echoes this as well. So what's amazing is that the, the prayer that the tax collector prays could just as easily have been prayed by the Pharisee, and it would have been yeah. as equally true for him as it was for the tax collector. So the point Absolutely. of this, and like you say, Jake, it, the story is not that the tax collector then went home and turned over a new leaf. Um, the The point of the story is that we always, we are always a tax collector, because yeah, you can turn over as many new, new leaves as you want but you are still a human being. It's amazing to me how many folks think that they are a good and righteous person and they're actually terrible to the people they live with. Yeah. They're te they're terrible to people who uh, serve them at McDonald's. They're terrible to people who are driving next to them. <laughs> and and yet they think that basically they're a good person. This is what the good yeah. place is all about. Like yes. she's a terrible person who basically thought she was okay. And most people are like that. And so don't, please don't make this about being a good person mm. because you aren't one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody's Here's a tax a collector. Here's a great illustration to end on, and that is, so, you know, you talk to a lot of people and you, you, I always do the wall trick and like, I'm like, okay, so if the, where the wall meets the ceiling, that is the most amazing person in the world. And where the wall meets the floor, that's the worst person in the world. Well, who is that? And, you know, people will say, oh, the Pharisee, you know, or uh, Mother Teresa or, you know. Is the um, best person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Greta, you know, she's right there up at the wall. And then, well, who's the worst person? Oh, the tax collector. You know, oh, Adolf Hitler. And then you usually, then I like to ask them, I say, well, where are you? And they'll say, you know, they'll usually point kind of, um, 
um, you know, above halfway up, maybe closer to the ceiling. You know, they're, you know, I'm basically good. You know, I do great things. And then I always say, well, Jesus is the moon. That's where Jesus is. And so you are far closer uh, to Adolf Hitler than you could possibly imagine. Mm. And, um, and uh, this is why we have no righteousness to stand on. Unless uh, your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes. This isn't for you to try harder. Uh, this is for you that you might, as St. Paul says in Philippians, um, find a righteousness outside of myself, a righteousness apart from the law. And uh, that's what you have been given in Jesus Christ. And that's what the tax collector is given. And that's what we're all given um, by virtue of his work on the cross, a righteousness apart from the law given to you. Hmm. And uh, so you do go home justified, but not because of you, but because of Christ and him alone. And uh, that or you can just quote Jake's more pithy statement from earlier in the podcast, God loves (laughs) turds, which I think will be the title (laughs) for this episode as well as your sermon. All right, Jake. Well, God bless you. Uh, Have a nice life until we meet again. Absolutely. God bless. Bye. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.